Hey, this is Rich Wilkerson. I'm the pastor of VU Church in Miami, Florida, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out today. I hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Man, I am so grateful that you are tuning in today. I'm so grateful that you are a part of church online. I believe God is going to speak to us in a mighty way. And I just wanna welcome really quick all of our VU friends and family. Come on, can we make some noise for all of our VU friends and family? Everybody who watches by way of YouTube or the podcast, who maybe you're listening to your car right now, we wanna let you know we are grateful for you. Today is an awesome day. Uh, we are kicking off a brand new collection of talks entitled Endure. Come on, have somebody say Endure. You guys can grab your seat. Today we are starting a brand new collection of talks. It's gonna last for eight weeks. And it is based on a little book in the Bible called First Peter. First Peter is where we're gonna be turning today. And uh, if you haven't already, I'd love for you to go to vuchurch.com slash endure and download for free uh, an endure journal. Um, there you can get it because for the next eight weeks, we have assigned reading for you. We have given you some extra resources. We're gonna be doing this little practice that we call soaping. Soap stands for scripture, observation, application, and prayer. Uh, but not only that, if you actually want to buy a hard copy, these are really beautiful, by the way. Uh, I think a thousand of these got purchased just this week alone. There's still time. I think there's a few left. Go to vuchurch.com slash endure and you, you can purchase one for a, for a small fee. We want to get this to you as a resource for you. And I love this, this word endure and I love this concept that we're talking about. And as we started preparing for this collection, the phrase that kept coming to me over and over again was simply this idea that life is not always about conquering. Often, it's simply about enduring. Sometimes it's just, it's just about enduring. And you have to know when to conquer and when to endure. There is no doubt that the scripture says that you are more than a conqueror because of Christ Jesus. But the scripture also says that we're called to stand firm, stand our ground, stay put and endure, to not give up, to not quit, to not run away. I just feel like for the next eight weeks, I wanna encourage you not to give up, not to quit, but to endure. Endure by definition means to hold out against. Come on, if you're taking notes, just make sure you understand what it is that we're talking about. Endure means to hold out against. How many know that if you're gonna be a follower of Jesus in 2020, there's some things that you have to hold out against? Like, like you, you should understand that we have to hold out against conforming to the pattern of this world. As believers in 2020, uh, we're not called to simply, you know, just separate. We're called to actually infiltrate and we're called to actually make a difference. But in trying to make a difference, if you're not careful, you will fall into syncretism where you start to look like the culture you're trying to reach. And I wanna make sure I hold out against conforming to the pattern of this world. How about holding out against persecution? I don't know if anyone senses that as a believer, but Jesus told us that we would have trouble in this world. Jesus told us that there would be persecution. And I wanna be a believer that when persecution does come my way for my faith, that I don't give in, that I don't quit. How about this idea of holding out against division in the body? I don't, I think 2020 has been a year full of necessary conversations, but a whole lot of unnecessary division. I want to endure. How about hold out and out against false teaching? Come on. I want to make sure that our church is preaching the real gospel, that it's by grace through faith that we have been saved. I can't achieve Jesus. I can only receive Jesus. I'm being called to endure in 2020. Come on, if you believe it, put your hands together. Got to hold out sometimes. What, what good is it to conquer but not endure? What good is it to gain ground if you don't know how to stand your ground? And the apostle Peter, he's going to write this letter to believers and he is going to encourage them to endure, to not give up, to not quit. And really, I love this thought that enduring in the temporal leads to an inheritance in the eternal. Listen to me. If it feels kind of dark all around you right now, I wanna remind you, it is always the darkest before dawn. And dawn is coming if you're a follower 
of Jesus. There can be chaos going on all around us, but I don't want the chaos around me to stop the peace and the hope that's coming up from within me. I believe as I endure in the temporal, I will receive an inheritance in the eternal. Come on, somebody. You believe it today? So I want you to grab your Bible because I want to talk today from this subject, how to carry pain. Part one of the next eight weeks, how to carry pain. Can you put it in the chat? Help me out over there. I see Jamila. Jamila, put that in the chat right now so people know right now that I'm talking live to you. How, there it is, how to carry pain. It's coming up right now in the Zoom. How to carry pain. Uh, I wanna show you uh, the first three v- verses. Today, we're gonna look at all nine verses in the first chapter of First Peter. Next week, we will continue in the same chapter. You'll be reading through a lot of this this week. But let me just give you some, some but of a, somewhat of an introduction, if you will. First Peter chapter one, verse one. Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles, if you've got a highlighter or a pen, just highlight those two words, of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be be multiplied to you. Now, these are just the first three verses of the first chapter, but in these first three verses, we discover a whole lot about this little book of the Bible. We get all of the context. It's important that when you read a text in scripture that you put the text into context. So let me just give you some context. We discover right here in these first three verses, the author, we discover the audience, and we discover the purpose for the writing. Now, now the author's pretty self-explanatory, right? It's, it's Peter. You gotta love Peter. He's like, Peter, he just starts with his name, Peter. It's, it's I'm, I'm Peter and I am the author. Now, maybe that doesn't mean much to you, but it actually gives me a whole lot of hope because, um, listen, if you can't relate to Peter, I don't know who you can relate to, okay? Uh, Peter is the cussing disciple, somebody said amen, okay? Peter had high highs and he had some low lows. Uh, Peter did some really great stuff and he did some really stupid stuff, okay? Like on his good day, How many know he was the leader of the early church? I mean, that's pretty amazing. But yo, on his bad days, he was denying Jesus to a 12-year-old little girl. He was running from the cross. On his bad days, he was cutting people's ears off for Jesus. I don't know, though. I feel like you got to get some people in your crew that are down to roll like that. You know what I'm saying? You mess with him, I'll cut your ear off. That's Peter, okay? Peter, maybe his worst day ever in scriptures is the day that Jesus looked at him and said, Satan, get thee behind me. What do you gotta do for Jesus, grace and truth in the flesh to look at you, remove your name and replace it with Lucifer? That's a bad day, okay? Just, that's a bad day. But I love Peter because he didn't just recover from that moment, he thrived from that moment. Peter became one of the most integral parts of the early church for it was Jesus himself who said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Let me tell you something. It ought to give you hope that Peter's the author because if God can use Peter, God can use you. Oh, come on, somebody give him praise. He can use you today. There's a lot of debates that go around that many people don't actually believe that Peter wrote this. And the reason why is because the writing is too good for Peter. The writing is so eloquent and the writing is so poetic that Peter was an unschooled fisherman. How on earth could that work? But man, I get encouraged because I'm reminded in Acts chapter four when Peter shows up into a city and he starts doing miracles and God's anointing falls on his life and everybody looks out and says, who are these men? These are unschooled, ordinary dudes, but they must have been with Jesus. I got news for you. You might be unschooled and you might be ordinary and you might have a cussing problem. Oh, but that doesn't stop God's grace from meeting you right where you are. If he can use Peter, he can use you. I've been with Jesus. It's just being with Jesus that his anointing gets onto my life. We discover that Peter's the author, but we also discover who the audience is and who is this written to? And this is important whenever you're doing a book study that you understand that these, this is a letter and it was written to a specific group of people. Doesn't mean that we can't take truth from it. Doesn't mean that we can't learn from it and glean from it, but we ought to know the context of it. And what you find out is that this letter is written to a region. It's Asia Minor and it's different cities in Asia Minor. Asia Minor 
um, is today now uh, the modern day Turkey. And you see uh, one, two, three, four, uh, five different churches. You see a church in, in Pontus, in Galatia, in Cappadocia, in Asia, in Bithynia. Now, it's very, very important before we talk about them that we understand why we picked 1 Peter for this season in our church. You see, 1 Peter is written and it's set in the ancient Roman Empire. Now, I just wanna see if this, if this connects with anybody out there because I think there's a lot of parallels between then and, and now. The Roman Empire was a superpower, one of the first superpowers the world has ever seen, massive, large, thriving economy, the biggest economy in the world, a strong military, the strongest, most powerful military in all the world. It was an epicenter of culture. Does this sound familiar to anybody? But there was a problem while this was being, while this was being written. The Roman Empire was actually self-destructing from the inside out. Does this sound familiar to anybody? <laughs> How many know that what goes up eventually must come down? The reason why it was beginning to self-destruct, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the major reasons is because the Roman Empire was such a large geographical region. And with that, it had so many different people groups living within the nation. And with this came so many different ideologies, different values, different paradigms, different cultures. And all of these differences were colliding and competing with one another. These people are divided, they're fighting back and forth, they all have their own agenda, they all have their own mission, and there's division setting in. And from the inside out, the nation, the empire is deteriorating. And right in the center of it is this small little minority group called Christians. Back then they weren't known as Christians. Instead, they were known as a group that's part of the way. What was the way? It was people who believed that Jesus's way of life was the way to eternal life. And here they are in the midst of all that and they're trying to follow Jesus, but immense pressure is hitting these believers. What is the pressure? It's all these other groups, all these other teams. They want the Christians to be on their team. And they're saying, come, come be with us and come, come hang out with us. And Peter is writing to the believers to say, don't give in, don't quit, but endure. Stay the course. Stay the course. Endure. Don't, don't let the division out there become the division in here. Don't let it creep in. So he writes to these five different churches. And, and these five different churches, many times, um, you know, VU Church before the pandemic began, we were one church, two locations. Come on, how many of y'all know that we had planned in the month of September 2020 to launch our third location? I still believe we'll launch a third location. I speak it out. But sometimes we think that that's like a, like a new concept, one church, multiple locations. But it's not. It's actually a very old concept. God anoints apostolic leaders men that oversee multiple churches or, or, or men and women that oversee multiple leaders and pastors. And that's all that's happening here. And so, so Peter writes to the church in Pontus in Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia, and he's speaking to them and he's encouraging them because they are Christians and they're living in a pagan culture and the pressure is hitting them. And he says, no, I did life with Jesus for three years. I know all about what it is that you're experiencing, but I had an eyewitness account of how Jesus thrived and how he excelled. So I wanna share that truth with you. I wanna preach and encourage you that there is hope, that there is healing and that there is real life in Jesus. I wanna give you hope, I wanna bring you healing and it's gonna be found in my words. So he's writing to, to Christians all scattered over the area that we know today and now is Turkey. What's funny is that Turkey is really the cradle of where the gospel began. Today, 2020, Turkey is the most unchurched nation in the world. See, it's not about how you start, it's about enduring. It's about how you last, it's, it's about staying the course. And Peter, he uses two words as he, as he speaks to his audience. And I find a lot of comfort in this. And I want you to write these down. The first word that we see is this word right here, elect. Everyone say elect. Uh, when you see this word in your Bible, and it's all throughout the New Testament, especially in Paul's writing and in Peter's writing, elect simply means that God chose you. Isn't that good news? That you didn't find God, God found you. God was never lost, you were lost. God took the first step at best, maybe we took the second step. I'm not even comfortable saying we took the second step because really God stepped out of heaven. 
came in the form of a little baby, grew up, lots of steps there, did a bunch of miracles, lots of steps there, finally went to a cruel cross, big step there, died for our sins. The scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Meaning while you and I were denying him, he was still choosing us and pursuing us. God chose you. Now, this word, it's important that we define this a little bit because this word is used in a massive church doctrinal debate. The debate is known as the debate over this term called predestination. Predestination is a doctrinal truth that means that God chose who he would save and who he wouldn't save. Meaning that God said, Oliver will be saved and Alex won't be saved. Now, I don't ascribe to that doctrine, although I have many brothers and sisters in the Lord who do believe in that. It's called the sovereignty of God. No, I fall into a tension that I believe that God's sovereign, but I also believe that man is responsible, that man has free will choice. Rich, where do you get that term? Well, I get that idea that you and I have free will choice all throughout the New Testament. John 3, 16 is an easy one. For God so loved the world. It doesn't say for God so loved the elect. For God so loved the, the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I don't know about you, but I'm just thankful that I fall into this category of the whosoever. That anybody who wants this, anybody who responds to this grace, God's already taken steps towards you. God already picked you. God's already chosen you. But he gives you the ability to respond. That I respond. He, he gives me the choice to love him back. Now, my belief in free will, it, it actually comes from Peter himself. For, for Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, we're not going to go over this letter, but it's good to hear it. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Watch this. He is patient with you, not wanting. Someone say not wanting. Not wanting that anyone should perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Meaning God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. Meaning I believe that God's grace, God's love, God's mercy is for anyone and everyone. He gives you the ability to respond. Now, as I say that, you're gonna read your Bible and you're gonna see this word elect and even predestined show up over and over again. Don't let those words scare you. For God does predestine us. How does he predestine us? Well, Peter tells us. He predestines us based upon his foreknowledge. What is his foreknowledge? It's his knowing beforehand what we would do. God knew that I would choose and respond to him in love. Therefore, he predestined me, and now I am called elect. Listen, I'm not afraid that God is big and I am small. I'm not afraid that there are mysteries to following Jesus. I'm quite comfortable living in the mystery of God. I'm quite comfortable understanding that God is sovereign and big, and I am small and finite. And when I see these words elect, I always go back to the fact that, yes, God is omniscient. He knows exactly what I'm going to do. But let me give you an illustration. Last night, the Miami Heat played. I don't know where people are watching from in the world, but yo, shout out to the heat. We've got to win. We've got to win. We've got to win. Let me just, that's not a prophecy, but it's a belief deep down in my soul. The heat played the Celtics and they lost. This happened last night. They lost. It's a bummer. Now watch this. If I record that game and now I go home today, existing outside of time. See, God's outside of time. We know time only by our little mind that he's given us, but God's outside of it. If I go home now today and I watch the game, how many of you know, I already know who won the game. I already know that the Celtics are going to win the game. And just because I know who won the game doesn't mean that as I watch the game, it's predestined, it's predetermined. My foreknowledge lets me know they won. It doesn't mean as I watch the game that the players who play the game don't have free will choice. So when I see elect in the Bible, get excited because it ought to give you confidence that God shows you. God picked you. It's not an accident, but rather today as you're worshiping him, he already had this in his mind. Endure, endure, endure. But Peter doesn't just say that you're elect. He uses this second word, and it's very important that we note it. He calls us elect exiles. Everyone say exiles. This is a good word. So on one hand, we're elect, but on the other hand, we're exiles. Another translation uses the word strangers. What a beautiful juxtaposition of what it means to be a believer and a follower of Jesus. On one hand, I'm chosen by God, but on the other hand, I'm a stranger in this world. 
On one hand, I'm handpicked by God. On another hand, I am a misfit in society. Isn't this a picture of the cross? That the vertical relationship of God, that I am elect, but now in my horizontal relationships, I feel like an exile. Listen to me. You will be accepted by God and you will be rejected by man. It's because you're an elect exile. It's that you're a chosen stranger. And the older I get and the more and more that I follow Jesus, the more and more I realize that following Jesus, that this place is not my home. I notice and I sense that I am living in exile, that I am a stranger in this world, that I don't belong here. Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever sensed this? Like there's this thing in our soul and our heart that once I'm in relationship with Jesus, this world, it's broken It's depraved, it's lost, it's hurting, it's suffering. I'm not meant to live here. The other night I was at dinner with some friends and as I was hanging out with my friends, we got into this conversation about um, a documentary that they had seen about people who live the longest in the world. And I guess there's this little city in Italy where people lived like 110 years of age. And so we got onto the conversation, you know, how long do you wanna live? Do you wanna live to 110? And it kind of finally came around to me. It's like, Rich, do you wanna live to 110? And I was like, I'm good, not really, like, God bless it, I'm just being honest with you, not really. The older and older I get, the more and more I understand the Apostle Paul when he says to live is Christ, to die is gain. I don't know about you, but I can't wait to get to heaven. For in heaven there are no more tears, there is no more pain, I am not put put on this earth to live here, this is temporary, heaven is eternal. You know, I see this show up all the time. Last week, we were celebrating five years and there was a big group of us that came together and people started sharing their story about how they found Boo Church. You know, we got a whole staff full of misfits, really. So many people that weren't even following Jesus before they started working in the church. And as people started, you know, stepping up and speaking, over and over again, people started saying the same thing, that when I walked into church, immediately I knew I was home. What interesting language. I mean, it wasn't just one person. It was, it was five or six people that said, when, when, I, when I came to church, I didn't even know God, but when I walked into church, I sensed that I was at home for the first time. Why are they all using the same metaphor and the same illustration? Could it be that it's not just a shared experience that they learned from one another, but rather it's a shared spiritual experience? You see, the fact that I am in exile is what motivates me to build God's house. The fact that I am in exile is what actually gets me excited about constructing God's house. Why? Because church is the closest thing on earth we have to heaven. And heaven is your home. And that's why people who don't know each other, people who don't know Jesus, they can walk into God's house. And as they walk into God's house, the immediate feeling, the best way to describe the spiritual experience they're having is, I feel like I walked home. I feel like I was finally welcomed home. Because heaven is your home. We are elect exiles. I don't know if you've ever traveled overseas before, but one time I was in Australia, I lost my passport and I was, oh man, what am I gonna do? I don't have a passport. I don't have a way to get back to America. And someone said, we gotta go to the US embassy. I said, the US embassy, take me there. The US embassy is a physical building in Australia, but the US embassy is in Australia, but it does not function with the Australian government in mind. Rather, the US embassy is placed in a foreign land and it's governed by another nation. It has another government. It functions another way. Friends, it's a beautiful picture of the church, that the church of Jesus Christ is heaven's embassy, that we are in this world, but we are not of this world, that we are placed presently here physically, but friends, we are governed by another. We have another power. We have another ruler. We have other authority. It's called the authority of heaven. This is why Peter's writing though. He's saying the division that's creeping in here, the division out there should not be the division in here. The problems out there should not be the problems in here. The arguments taking place out there should not be the arguments that are happening in here. We have the answer. We have the solution. His name is Jesus. Don't bring the world's problems into God's house and try to replace the solution with Jesus with the problem. The world shouts the problem, but don't let it silence the sermons of the Savior. His name is Jesus. 
I'm elect, but I am in exile. I'm in a tension. I'm caught in between. This place is not my home to be absent with the bodies, to be present with Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I am looking forward to heaven. Authors Peter, the audience is this, these churches scattered over Asia Minor. And Peter continues to write, 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, that's, that's how you've been elect, and that's how God knows. He knows beforehand. In the sanctification of the Spirit, now we're going to get the reason why he's writing. The reason why he's writing is for obedience to Jesus Christ. And for the sprinkling with his blood, this is a reference to the Old Testament, that in the Old Testament they would sprinkle lamb's blood and it would atone for sins temporarily. But now we've been sprinkled with Jesus' blood and we are forgiven eternally. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Last week we talked about grace, the enabling grace, the empowering grace. So he's saying, I'm writing to you to encourage you to continue to obey, to continue to endure, to continue to stay the course. And I'm praying that grace would be multiplied. It would be layered. It would have a compound effect on your life as you're reminded of what Jesus did for you. Now, what's interesting as Peter's writing is that we know who he's writing to. We know what's taking place. We know the pressure that's hitting their lives. So when Peter is encouraging them to obey, he's not talking about an obedience that leads to an obvious blessing. This is big. How many know it's really easy to obey when there's an obvious blessing at hand? When you immediately get healed. That, that's, that's easy. I'm with Jesus. I was blind. Now I can see. It's, it's really, really easy to obey when all of a sudden you get the job that you wanted. Oh, I got promoted. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. I'm the head and not the tail. That's, that's easy. Nothing bad with that. I, I believe there's prosperity in Jesus. But I actually believe that Peter is writing here not about obeying Jesus to an obvious blessing. He's asking us to obey Jesus when it leads to suffering, when it leads to suffering, when it leads to burdens, when it leads to challenges, when it leads to pressure when it actually leads to pain. I'm just telling you right now, if you follow Jesus, it's gonna be some added burden. There's gonna be suffering. There's gonna be pain. You're gonna have to learn how to carry the pain. I'm just telling you, like, like, like this is, he's not talking about obey Jesus Christ and, and it's immediate obvious blessing. He's saying obey Jesus Christ even if it means you gotta walk in serious, deep pain. I just know in my life that following Jesus has added burdens to my life. It's like, think about right now, for the next eight weeks, we're in this election year, and like, you're following Jesus, it's gonna add burdens to your life. And the question is, are you gonna continue to follow? Are you gonna continue to obey? We live in a world right now that wants to make people issues and turn them into to political issues. But yo, it's my love for Jesus that refuses to fall into those lines, that refuses to play those games. See, it's actually my love for Jesus that when I look around at society and I see all the different problems, it's like I realize that my love for Jesus is going to create additional burdens in my life. It's my love for Jesus that makes me fight for the unborn. I know that not everyone agrees with that or believes in that, but that it's my love for Jesus that believes that life begins in the womb according to Psalm 139, so I'm gonna lift my voice up about that. But in the very same breath, it's my love for Jesus that makes me stand up against racial injustice. And how many know, it's my love for Jesus that creates and makes enemies for me. I got some enemies in this world, but it's that very same love for Jesus that calls me and makes me serve my enemies. It's my love for Jesus that actually makes people go, I wanna listen to what Rich is saying. And it's that very same love for Jesus that says from other people, why don't you shut up, bro? Enough talking about Jesus. What's the point? The point is if you're gonna follow Jesus, it's gonna add to your pressures. It's gonna add to your pain. And what Peter's gonna write about here is Peter's gonna let us know that you're gonna have to learn how to carry pain but it's not always what we're carrying that's difficult, but how we are carrying it, how we're carrying it. And Peter's gonna show us two ways in which we are supposed to carry the pain of this life. Two words he's gonna zero in on on the next few verses. The words are hope and purpose. Everyone say out loud, focus on the hope. First Peter chapter one, verse three, says this, it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
I want you to see this today. This is very, very important. He starts out saying, blessed be the God of our Father of Jesus Christ. How many know most people wake up every day looking for a blessing from God, but we're actually called to wake up every day blessing God. I'm telling you right now, it would change your entire trajectory of your life in every one of your days if you would wake up every day and if the first thing that you would do is say, I'm gonna bless the name of God. I'm gonna give God praise. I'm gonna make much out of the name of God. Why do we bless God? Well, he tells us we bless him according to his great mercy, God's great mercy for our lives. Mercy, we don't deserve mercy, we deserve punishment, but God extends mercy and he doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, he gives us what he deserves. It's called mercy. Did you know that the only thing new about God are his mercies every day? God loves you. God has a plan for you. And that's why you can bless God. You bless God because he first blessed you. You love God because he first loved you. You serve God because God first served you. Look at this. He says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Everyone say living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So he says this great mercy has caused you to be born again. I love this word born again because this is a picture of salvation. That salvation, the best way to describe it is like giving birth. Peter is echoing Jesus, of course. Jesus in John chapter three, he speaks with Nicodemus and he says to Nicodemus, the teacher of the law, he says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. He says, Nicodemus, if you want salvation, you must be born again. Why does Peter use this phrase born again? Because it's the best way to describe what it's like coming into Jesus, that you are a new creation. It's a brand new start and it's evidenced by what? By new desires and a new nature. The day I gave my life to Jesus, the day that I surrendered my life to Jesus, all of a sudden, it didn't mean that I didn't fall into temptation ever again. It just simply meant that now my life had a brand new intention. Things that used to bring me pleasure no longer brought me pleasure. I used to walk one way, and now I'm walking a new way. I used to think one way, now I'm thinking a brand new way. I have been born again. Well, how have we been born again? Look what he says. He's telling us right here, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're born again. We have this new life. Why? Because Jesus was resurrected from the grave. This is so very important that you understand that the resurrection is everything to your faith. And when we're carrying pain, this is how Peter is going to encourage you and challenge you to endure. He's gonna remind you that Jesus Christ, I believe, hopefully you believe, he conquered death, hell, and the grave that he went to the cross and he conquered the cross. Do you understand how powerful this is? Do you understand how meaningful this is? You see, the cross is meaningless without an empty tomb. Because if Jesus really conquered death, if he really resurrected from the grave, well then friends, how many of you know it's pretty easy to believe all of the other stuff that he told us? Because if he really resurrected from the grave, you can take all of his promises to the bank because he is alive, he is working, and you have been born again. He's given you a living hope. One of my favorite writers, N.T. Wright, he says it this way. He says, becoming a Christian means that what God did for Jesus at Easter he does for you in the very depth of your being. So Christ's resurrection is my resurrection. And now I have a living hope. I have a living God, therefore I have a living hope. God is alive, therefore your hope can thrive. So if you're carrying pain today, if you're tempted to give up, Peter would say, focus on the hope. Hope is essential for you to survive. I know there's a lot of debates out there about all the things that we need to survive. And, you know, Maslow, he has the five hierarchy of needs, starting with, you know, food, shelter, and water. And I know you need food, shelter, and water, but listen to me, food, shelter, and water is not enough because unless you have hope, you will not survive. I know plenty of people who had food, shelter, and water, but they lacked hope and they never made it. Friends, because he lives, you can face tomorrow. Focus on the hope today. He's alive and he's working in your life. He says, are you carrying pain? It's not just what you're carrying that makes it difficult. It's how you're carrying it. Are you carrying it with hope? 
he continues in his writing in chapter one, he says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Look at these words. You have an inheritance that's what? Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So I want you to see this. He says, remember, you have a living hope. Focus on the hope. But this hope also comes with an inheritance. When you see this word inheritance, think about a gift. Or, or better yet, think about, um, think about a legacy or a birthright. Ooh, this is good news. Remember, he just said you've got to be born again. Because this is the truth of salvation. That you're not a son by worth. You're a son by birth. You can't achieve Jesus you have to receive Jesus. The only way you get the inheritance is not by doing a bunch of good stuff, not by a bunch of works, but simply by being born again, by believing in who Jesus is. You've got to be born again. But he says there's this inheritance that's kept for you. My wife and I recently just did estate planning for our two little sons. And, you know, estate planning, you got to kind of define the will, who's going to take the boys if, God forbid, something happens to us and, you know, what are they going to get? And, you know, we don't have a whole lot to give, but hopefully over time, God will do more in our lives. And, you know, right now, if we die, well, that's going to be, but as time goes by, we'll see. But you have to lay out all of this stuff. And, and one of the things that I realize is that if my wife and I were to die today, how many know that my two-year-old son is not getting his inheritance right away? In fact, it's better than that. His inheritance comes to him at different stages and different ages. Why? Because I'm a good father. And I'm not just gonna simply give him what he wants when he wants it, but rather I'm gonna give him what he needs when he needs it. And this scripture says that your inheritance, listen, it's imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unfading, and it is kept in heaven for you. I want you to understand, it's not kept from you, it's kept for you. It's good news, it's salvation for your soul. It's not temporal, it's eternal, and it's long-lasting. And you've got to be reminded because this life over and over again, it will come at you. And when life tries to weigh you down, hope relieves the pressure. The greater the pain, the greater the hope. As pain hits my life, I need hope to relieve the pressure. It's like, um, it's like elevators. Elevators have this thing we call a counterweight. And um, a counterweight is, is, is the weight that must come down for the elevator to rise. And the counterweight has to be heavier than the elevator itself. So, so, so the counterweight, it outweighs the elevator. And as it comes down, the elevator goes up. Please understand today that God's hope is the counterweight to your pain. God's hope weighs more than your pain weighs. I wrote it down this way. The world pounds you with burdens, but God blesses you with tons of hope. The world wants to pound you with problems, pound you with trouble, pound you with fear, pound you with suffering. But when it starts to pound you, the tons and tons of hope comes down and it relieves it. How many know tons weigh more than pounds? God's mercy weighs more than your pain. God's grace weighs more than your heartache. God's hope weighs more. As it comes down, the pain comes up. Someone say, focus on the hope. We don't just focus on the hope. Number two, I'll put it down this way. Put some purpose on it. Put some purpose on it. First Peter chapter one, he continues in his writing. He says, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, someone say little while. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is massive. You gotta put some purpose on it. Literally what Peter is saying, he's saying that yes, you're facing pain and yes, you're facing trials, but you must make a decision to rejoice. Rejoice, why? Because something takes place when you rejoice. You start to put purpose on all of the pain around you. 
Look what he says. He says, um, now that you've suffered for a little while, we're, we're gonna land here on week eight as we study 1 Peter chapter five because Peter starts with this phrase, little while, and he ends with, ends with it in chapter five. But honestly, they're all drafting off of Jesus in John chapter 16 when Jesus says, uh, you're gonna see me in a little while and then I'll be gone for a little while and I'll return in a little while. They're, they're using the same language as Jesus. And so it makes me wonder, what does a little while mean? Now, when you study the scriptures, what you'll find out that God has a funny um, idea of time. Once again, he exists outside of time. There's one scripture that says a day is like a thousand years to God. Okay, so how many, how long have I been living, yo? James, the brother of Jesus says, your life is but a vapor. My whole life, my whole 80 years, yeah, vapor, it's a mist. So when he says that you've suffered for a little while, I think a great way to define a little while is your entire life. That if you're gonna follow Jesus, you're gonna have to learn how to carry pain for your entire life. But as you face trials, remember, put some purpose on the trial because trials have purpose in your life. See, trials, what they do is they, they, they tend to expose who we are by digging up the soil of our life and revealing the roots. And when pain hits my life and when trials hit my life, it starts to dig up all the dirt that's on me, all the stuff that is around me, and, and it begins to expose what I'm actually attached to. Peter uses a metaphor that is not new to the scriptures. He, he talks about trials like a metal going through fire. You see, when you find a precious metal, you put it into fire. The fire burns away everything that's impure. The fire burns the dirt off of the gold. And friends, in the same way, when you go through pain and when you go through trials, what's actually taking place is that the fire is burning off the dirt and exposing the true thing that God wants you to be attached to, which is his son, Jesus. See, 2020 has been a year of exposure. A whole lot of people have been exposed in 2020 as to what their faith is attached to. A lot of people have collapsed as the fire of this year has hit their life and they've collapsed because their faith was actually Jesus plus something. Jesus plus my health. Um, Jesus um, plus my job. As long as I got a job, then I can trust Jesus. That's not real faith. Uh, Jesus, um, Jesus plus uh, approval. Uh, Jesus plus popularity. No, no, no. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's that trial comes and it takes that which is impure and it reveals our roots that I only want a faith that's attached to Jesus. See, trials, what they do is they refine our character and they define our calling. This is why you gotta put some purpose on it, man. What you're going through, don't just go through it, but grow through it. Put some, put some purpose on it. My character is being refined. My character is coming out strong. You can't tell, but I'm getting stronger. You can't see it now, but God's developing me. He's actually making sure that my faith is pure, attached to one, his name is Jesus. And you can see this little principle show up all throughout the Bible. It, it, Jesus is an easy example. Jesus goes into the wilderness before his public ministry begins. 40 days, he's in the wilderness and the devil comes and tempts him. He's being refined in the wilderness. But as he's being refined, his character is being strengthened. What happens? He comes out of the wilderness and he walks right into the temple. Luke chapter four, verse 17. And he grabs the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he unrolls it and he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. Remember that word anointed last week? He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What was happening? He was refined, and as his character was refined, his mission and calling was defined. I don't know what this year has looked like for you, but I believe today, if you'll put some purpose on your pain, if you'll put some purpose on your suffering, if you'll put some purpose on the job loss, if you'll put some purpose on the sickness, what you will discover is that you've been refined so that God could define where he wants to take you, what he wants to do with you. 
been a challenging year. I've talked to so many pastors in 2020. And so this has been one of the most difficult years for pastors. But I believe as we've gone through the fire, I don't know about you out there, but I just feel like God has clarified and specified more than ever now for me what I am here to do, that I am here to be a voice that brings hope, help, and healing to a broken, depraved world. It's because I've been refined by fire that my mission and calling has been defined. So if you're still standing today in 2020, you ought to rejoice is what Peter's saying. You ought to give thanks. You ought to give praise because maybe others can't see it, but you're stronger. You ought to rejoice because something on the inside has gotten bigger. You ought to rejoice because I promise you, you're wiser coming into this next year than you were last year. You're further than where you started. Rejoice. Though you have not seen him, he continues. You love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with godly, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Though you haven't seen him, you love him. Though you can't see him right now, it's like you can sense that he is at work. And the fact that he is at work, I have this inexpressible joy that rises up from the inside. Yes, I'm suffering. Yes, I'm facing challenges. Oh, but at the very same time, I am rejoicing. That doesn't make sense if you're not in Jesus. How on earth can you be suffering on one hand and rejoicing on the other? Oh, friends, this is the gospel that I could be going through both seasons simultaneously, but I have found an inexpressible joy. I know it's hard for me to clarify. It's hard for me to define. It reminds me when Paul says we're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. I'm perplexed, no doubt, but I'm not in despair. I, I, I've, I've gone through things like being persecuted, but I'm not abandoned. I'm struck down, but I'm not destroyed. It, it's, it's, the, it's the tension. It's the season that I'm in. And this joy, it's, it's inexpressible. Like, like God's joy that he wants to give you to endure is not like smiley face emojis. It's not like here for a moment and then gone. It's, it's so much deeper. It's joy that can only be found deep, deep in the pain. Deep, deep in the pain that joy that, that, that helps us carry on. Helps us carry on. How do I, how do I carry pain? Well, I've got to have the handle of hope and I've got to have the handle of purpose. I've got to focus on the hope and I've got to put some purpose on it. I've got to realize that God's purifying me. God, God's getting me ready. God's developing me because there's actually this salvation for my soul. There's, there's this eternal thing. There's this, eter this is a temporal thing. There's an eternal thing. Don't let the division out there become the division in here. Don't let the talk out there become the talk in here. Focus on the solution. Focus on the hope. Put some purpose on it. What's amazing is that most theologians believe that simultaneously, Peter and Paul were both in prison at the exact same time writing letters to the church. Peter, who we're studying right now for the next eight weeks, is the apostle of hope. But Paul, Paul is the apostle of faith. And both of them in a prison cell facing real pain are both writing the same truths to the audience. Paul writes it this way. Therefore, we do not lose heart. I don't give up, I endure. I don't quit. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light, what, what an inner, he's in prison. For our light and momentary troubles, this short-term pain, well, it's achieving a long-term gain. It's achieving the eternal glory that far outweighs the counterweight of hope is relieving the pressure of your pain. Hope comes in tons. Pain is in pounds. And it far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. I can endure because my, my temporal pain my temporal problem is achieving for me an eternal inheritance. I don't give up. I don't quit. I stay the course. 
focus on the hope put some purpose on it today we're going to sing and today we're going to worship but this letter would have come to the early church and they wouldn't have had podcasts and they wouldn't have had youtube videos instead the apostle probably from a prison cell sent this letter to all over asia minor these people are afraid of what's happening out there. These people are looking around and seeing division and competition and conversations and arguments and the pressures hitting them. But somebody would have stood up in the church before they would have worshiped. They would have said, we've got a letter that's come in. We've received a letter from Pastor Peter. And I thought we would read it to the congregation today. So maybe you're on Zoom right now, maybe you're on YouTube. I think it's a good place to stand up. Because as we read this letter, this letter is gonna result in inexpressible joy. You might not have the words, we're gonna put some songs up, but man, it might be your own song that you're gonna to sing to God. It might be your own way to worship. But Peter writes, chapter one, verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, not from you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Come on, if you believe it today, why don't you lift your hands? Come on, why don't you lift your voice? Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with friends. It helps so much. For more content from VU and to connect with us, go to vuchurch.com. We love you. The best is yet to come.